Welcome to Creekside Church. We are excited to have so many here today. I know the weather is a little sketchy outside, uh, Iowa in February. But uh, let's just bow our heads and pray and uh, commit our time to the Lord before we sing our next song. Father, we just ask that you would come, that you would send your presence uh, into this place. We know that you have promised to do so where two or three are gathered in your name. Uh, there you are in the midst, Father. And we're just excited for this morning. We're excited to uh, hear these professions of faith and lives uh, being dedicated to Jesus. Uh, we just ask that you would encourage us and strengthen us. Uh, Lord, just take away the distractions from the morning or from the week ahead and help us to focus in and uh, look to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. It's in his name we pray, amen. Good to have you with us this morning. I just wanted to uh, welcome you, and I know that we have family and friends and people who are joining with us for this baptism. And so I wanted to make a couple of comments about baptism because it's not as common the way it's done in, at Creekside, in some places, it's not done that way. Uh, I remember uh, several years ago, my first trip to Europe, and it was in the middle of the summer, and it was about, 75, about 85, 90 degrees outside, and it was really warm. And we went into this place to eat our noon meal. And the very first thing they served us at the noon meal was hot soup. And they served us hot soup on a hot day in a room where there were no windows open and there was no air moving. And I thought, wow, that's different. And it was different, but it wasn't wrong. That's just the way they did it. So different is not necessarily wrong, it's just different. And so what I want to say is that this morning, some of you are going to observe a method of baptism that is different, okay? It's not the same as what you might be used to. Some of you might be familiar with uh, infant baptisms where babies go up and the pastor holds the baby and then they sprinkle water on top of the baby's head. Well, that's not the way we do it here. Uh, this morning, you're going to see three adult men uh, going clear underneath the water and coming back up out of the water, okay? So they're going to be totally immersed. And there's a reason we do it that way. It's not just like we decided one day that that was the way we wanted to do it. In the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, the word baptism means to dip or immerse. So I'm an old guy, and so if I ever go to a swimming pool, what's the first thing old people do when they go to the swimming pool? Well, they, they kind of, they baptize their toes, See, they, they, they dip their toes and they immerse their toes in the water to check the temperature, right? Well, it means to immerse or to dip, and, and it signifies union with or identification with. So in the New Testament, the, the thing was people believed and they were baptized, okay? They, they put their faith of the trust in Christ, and then they were baptized. And most of the time, they happened at the same time, you know, very close together, they were believed in Jesus and they were baptized. And I'm going to read a verse here in Acts chapter 8. It says, But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, men and women alike. So they put their faith of the trust in Jesus Christ and his death alone as the payment for their sins. 
the belief in his resurrection as the basis for their being righteous before God, and then they were baptized, to identify themselves as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. That's how they marked themselves out. So belief precedes baptism, and a per- person is baptized then, in our understanding of the New Testament, as a testimony, as a witness, as a declaration, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And so we believe that, that it's, it's only those who have personally believed that are baptized. That's why we don't baptize an infant, because they're not old enough to personally a- admit that they're believers. And so baptism is an outward physical sign and visible symbol of what's really true in a person's heart. They have been identified in union with Christ in the death, burial, and resurrection, okay? And so as a person, so when you see these guys go down into the water and they're under the water and then they come back up out of the water, that is to symbolize to you, to be a picture to you all and to us that they are identifying with Jesus in his death going down into the water in his burial, being in the water, and coming up out of the water, being raised together to new life. So that's their union. The physical act simply reflects the spiritual reality. If you have any other questions about it, we're not trying to hide anything. I'd be glad to visit with you after the service, or any of our elders would be willing to do it. You can email us at creeksidebm.com, me or Megan, and we'd be glad to answer those questions. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have the guys come forward, and they're going to share a few of their thoughts about uh, what this means to them. And we're going to do this in this order. Uh, Jethro's going to come first. And they're going to come up here and stand behind this microphone. I know it's a little intimidating, but that's okay. Jethro's going to come first. And then Prince is going to come. And then Colin is going to come. Is that okay? You guys good with that? Jethro, if you would come up now at this point. Uh, and uh, I'm going to read Jethro's verse as he... You can come on up, buddy. I'm going to read his verse as he comes forward. Jethro asked me to read this verse for him in Ezekiel chapter 26, uh, chapter 36, verse 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Good morning, everyone. Hi, my name is Jethro Lewis Ray. I'm happy to be here today and that everyone here can witness and be a part of this experience in my life. My whole life I was taught about our Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus Christ, but never did I get baptized. For one reason or another, I was confused with a lot of different things and different teachings growing up. These last few years I have been wanting to grow a strong relationship with our Savior Jesus Christ. And after all the chaos in the world we are living in today and losing a few loved ones, it really struck me on what life is really about and what's our purpose in being here. I made a promise to myself that I would seek God and put my trust in him to guide me and teach me so I could lead my family in his direction and that his will may be my will. After attending a few Sunday school classes here at Creekside Church, I felt I had a calling that I should be baptized. I stand here today to testify my faith in him and that I am a true believer in our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was crucified on the cross 
and resurrected on the third day, and his blood was shed for our sins, so we could be washed clean and have a chance in making it back to heaven. I accept his sacrifice and promise to put my trust and faith in him, to follow his teachings and examples so that he may guide me through this journey in life. I say all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. How are everybody doing? All right. So I'm Jay Prince. Um, I'm originally from Africa. I came here 2003, month. 2002? Oh, 2004, I guess. Oh, this whole time I thought 2003 or 2002. I guess 2004. Um, so we came from Africa, um, 2004, uh, it was pretty hard coming here, um, obviously we were all refugees, um, me, my mom, my sister, um, we came here first on, um, I think we all landed at New York, and then, like, all our family got spread out, like, some of them went to Texas, some of them went to, um, New York, and then we, yeah, and then Prince and his dad went to Florida, like, and then we came to Iowa. Like Iowa, come on now. I mean, it's 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 still cool though, cause of the people I met. So I'm thankful that we came to Iowa. Um, yeah. So it, it growing up, um, I grew up without my sister. Um, after a long time, um, she actually passed away at Grays Lake in 2000. I forgot when, but she passed away um due to swimming. Um, it was pretty hard for me and my mom, cause obviously like I walked into the house, she came home from work and. She didn't expect news like that, but we walked in and told her that our sister is gone and everybody would be sad because she just came from work. She was happy we came from swimming. My sister didn't come back. It was a sad story. I don't like talking about it, but sometimes you got to. Um, yeah, so due to that occasion, um, what's it called? The church actually actually started a, um, a swim class called um, Camp Vera. So we would um, it, it get all the kids together and the kids who didn't know how to swim, like, it gathered everybody up and, and go swim to Berlin. So, like, literally, a lot of kids know how to swim now because of that. So, events happen and, and good things come out of it. So, that's how I look at it nowadays. So, yeah, so I grew up without um, siblings for a good, like, four more years after that. And then I got my brother Nick over here. Um, it was a blessing because I thought I wasn't going to have a, a, another sibling, but soon he came out. I was happy. Few years later, going on, I had I got twin sisters. I didn't know there was gonna be twins. I walked in. I walked into the hospital, and there was like um, I was like I'm here for Lucy, and she looked on paper. She was like, Oh, twins. I'm like twins. So you know, I'm like, Oh, bet. I was like I was like in front of the nurse, and she was like behind me. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just like walking. Like I don't know what I'm doing. But I heard it was twin sisters. I was happy, and I got to name one of them Angel. The other name was Angie. So. It was a blessing, and I feel good because of them. Um, a few years later, um, I, I graduated high school. You know it was good. Um, I went to college after that. Went to William Penn for a good um, a good one year. I wasn't really feeling it because school is not really, I don't, I'm not going to do that talk, but school is not, school's not for me. Um, so after that, I thought, I thought um, because after I went to William Penn, the whole family told me to go to William Penn. They threw a fat check at me. And after that, like, everybody was quiet. Like, nobody wants to pay up now. <laughs> you feel me? So I, I, I had to go to DMAC after that um, for fashion. And it was pretty cool because, you know, fashion is what I like. So 
went to DMAC for fashion, and I was rolling with that for a long time. Um, but I left DMAC also, and and now I'm just I'm just focused on myself. I would say I'm getting baptized today because I always grew up in a Christian home, and I always been a member of this church. I was here for all of it, and I'm here for Creekside. I've always been surrounded by good souls, and and still am still today. I truly believe that God did send his son Jesus Christ to die for us on the cross. God sent me a few angels in my life to help me in certain situations that I wasn't able to handle myself. Um, example, like a few weeks ago, we had to go pick up my brother from school, and and what's it called? It was cool. It was me, my boy Ernest over there, <laughs> and a few, a few of us in the car. So after we picked him up, it was on our way back home, and it was like the middle of nowhere. We accidentally like ran into the snow, and we were stuck. So, I, I, luckily, I, I had gas in my car to, like, keep on the heat. But, like, we was literally in the middle of nowhere. Like, I don't know how I was going to get out. I called, it, I called the tow truck dude, and he said he was about to come. Three hours later, he didn't even come, didn't return my call. But he said it was going to be 200. I didn't care. I was going to throw it at him because I, I was trying to get home. But still, he didn't call. Um, I woke up, like, two hours later, and out of nowhere, it we all seen some dude flashing a flashlight at us. We are like, what's going on? And I guess somebody like seen us and he walked around. He's like, Are you guys okay? I'm like, I'm like, oh snap, it's help, it's help, we got help. <laughs> so he started he went for a shovel, he started digging us out and everything, and it was cool. We all got out and we thanked him. I don't know how he knew we was there. And, and like I said, sometimes he just sends his blessings and it goes like that. Um and what's it called? And he also um tossed me a few opportunities um last year and this year, so and, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to school because I'm taking all these opportunities because I want to elevate myself in life. I don't want to just stay in one place because that's not where I see myself. I don't see myself working a job. I just don't know how to work a job. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather do more in life than just work a nine-to-five. Um, and since then, I just feel better, and I walk around with a smile every day. So I'm Jay Prince. <laughs> What's it called? Yeah. Um, I want to oh, it, it read John 360. Oh. James 1.27, <laughs> it says, if you want to serve God in a completely good way, do things like this. Care for children who have no parents. Also care for women whose husbands have died. Help them in their troubles. If you serve God or a father like that, he'll be happy with you. Do not let the bad people in this world make you dirty too. Just so I'm not going to explain that. It's pretty self-explanatory. Um, just care for people. Um, I did have a few um, of my, I, I did have a few lost um these past two years, Mr. Mike and Miss Marge, it was sad on it was sad on me and my mom because when we came from Africa, they were here the whole time. Now I'm getting baptized. They're not here. It's okay though. Um, and I have one more, just a little little gate. So y'all hey, know when Moses um what's it called separate the water and everything. Yeah, I guess this fish got late to work. Um, it says you're late again. What happened this time, sir? You, you won't believe it. And you, you know. Moses then the fish is like, no way, who is this? <laughs> but, yeah, that's me. Um, and amen. My name is Colin Short. I've been coming to this church for 11 years, I believe. And, yeah, so I was baptized as an infant uh, at a different church. And I am told that I confessed I was a sinner when I was four years old, which is very young, so I do not remember it at all, but uh, my parents tell me, and I'll take their word for it, 
um, growing up, I still walked the walk of being a Christian, but I did not feel a strong relationship with Jesus. Um, at some points, I didn't feel a relationship with him at all. And so this led me to uh, doubt my salvation a lot, <laughs> actually. Um, and I prayed for salvation a lot of times. I would ask Jesus, please save me from my sins. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be left behind if my family gets taken in, like, the rapture. Uh, seeing, like, left behind movies always made me question my salvation again. And I'd pray a quick prayer just to be sure. <laughs> yeah, so as a senior in high school in 2020, um, I was stuck at home a lot more than normal and had a lot of time on my hands to think. And I took some of that to study the gospel a little bit. And I was kind of left alone with my own thoughts, <laughs> so which is always a, a time to start questioning yourself even more. And there were a couple things that I realized while reading in the Bible. There was something that I needed but did not have. I was missing a truly loving relationship with God, uh, which I had felt my whole life. Um, I also learned that I could not have or even desire that on my own, and I learned that my intellectual knowledge of the Bible and God was not enough for me to accomplish that. So John 15, verses 7 and 8 say, If you remain in me, and this is Jesus talking, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So this verse and many others led me to spend a long time praying um, that God would give me a desire for him and a relationship with him. And he did, because <laughs> he said he would, and God does not break his promises. So over these past several months, uh, God has given me a desire for him and his word that I never had before. He's given me joy in my life that I also never had before. He's freed me from bondage of recurring sins that I couldn't escape from on my own. Although, if you talk to my family, I'm not perfect by any means. And that's something uh, that all Christians are working towards. Um, and finally, he's given me an assurance that I'll be with him for eternity which is a huge thing for me. So I want to be baptized today as my next step in dedication to Christ. When I was an infant, I did not have much say in the act. I just got dunked <laughs> and didn't know what was going on. But now that I'm a disciple of Christ, I believe it's the biblical thing to do. So uh, I want to do it to honor God and let others know that I have been dead spiritually and now made alive in him. deal. I should have been a little smarter, I guess, and uh, wore, wore my uh, swimming suit underneath of my clothes, but I'm not that smart, so I have to do it the old-fashioned old way, and I'm uh, not a quick-change artist, so good, good to have you with us. We just praise God for uh, the testimony of each of these individuals. Looking forward to 
having you uh, congratulate them and encourage them after the service, if you would. That would just really be a, a special thing. We're grateful for their willingness to, uh, to take the time and to give their testimony here. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we prepare to study God's Word together. Father, uh, thank you so much for each of these uh, young men who bear their testimony about their personal faith in Christ for Jethro Ray and for uh, Jay Prince and for Colin Short. Uh, we ask for your rich blessing in their lives. We pray that you'd encourage them and strengthen them with all might by your spirit in their inner being. We pray that they would walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord, in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, pleasing you in all respects and bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. We ask that you would work in and through them for your glory and the gain of your kingdom. We ask that you'd open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law and that you would be honored and magnified as we study it together, as we apply it, and as we seek to live in light of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I received an invitation in the mail to join a particular group, uh, a mail solicitation. So I opened it, read through the benefits of, of being part of this group. And then I read after reading the list of benefits and the cost involved with joining the group to receive these benefits, I realized this is lame. And uh, so I just, uh, it hit, you know, it hit the recycle bin. It was just, I just threw it in the recycling bin. You know, the benefits were, were, were not anything they were cracked up to be. And this morning, as we look at the text of Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through chapter 13, verse 17, we see Jesus at the end of one of his busiest and most demanding days that he's ever had in ministry. And after, during this intense day, he's, he's already explained and defended his activity, his ministry. He's already confronted the unbelief and uh, the hypocrisy. He's engaged in miraculous healing. And then finally, we see him challenging the superficial spirituality of the religious leaders, all in Matthew chapter 12. And now he stresses at the end of it, at the beginning of chapter 13, he stresses the priority and the necessity of accepting who he is and his identity as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world. So in Matthew chapter 12, if you have your Bibles or you have your phone, if you have a, a, a Bible app or you can reach under the seat in front of you, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to begin in verse 46 and read the text, that Jesus' interactions and his instructions in this text, okay, in these several verses, reveal two exclusive benefits of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him as the Messiah. So it's his instructions and his interactions in this text say, hey, there's two big reasons, two big benefits to believing, the exclusive benefits. I'm in Matthew chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 46. While he was still speaking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But he answered the one who was telling him and said, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother 
and sister and mother. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and the great multitudes gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a pair of sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, uh, and they fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielding a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and he said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. It's a lot in the text, but I basically see two basic benefits, blessedness of believing benefits, okay? The blessedness of believing. First of all, we see in the first few verses, verses 46 through 50 of chapter 12, that only believers are granted membership into Christ's kingdom, only into his family. Only, only believers get into the family of God, okay? So as the hostility towards Jesus had increased and uh, his yet unbelieving family, now I, I say yet unbelieving because if you looked at John chapter 7, which uh, kind of is connected to this passage, you'll see that they were skeptical about who he was. They had not yet fully embraced who he was. So his yet unbelieving family was a little bit concerned about him because he was out there preaching and teaching, and every the religious leaders and people were getting hostile toward him, so they came and they were concerned for his safety. So they're gathering outside of the home where Jesus is speaking to this multitude, and they, they want to do something about it. Now, you know, Jesus is a big boy now, okay? So... Uh, to have mom and, and, and his brothers and sisters show up to kind of rescue him, he's kind of like, really? I can take care of myself. So to avoid the, the, the embarrassment, okay, and to, he used a potentially embarrassing situation, all right, as an opportunity to stress the importance, the primary, the primacy of a, a relationship with him. So what it seems like in the text is that he's dismissing that family relationship. No, he's not disowning his family in, in any, any way, shape, or form. So when he says in verse 49, Behold, my mother and my brothers. Not pointing to his immediate biological family, but pointing to his disciples. He's not dismissing his parents. 
and his family. He's not saying, no, they don't matter at all. He's not rejecting his earthly family, but he's making the declaration that his spiritual family is of primary importance. When I do premarital counseling, counseling with couples that are getting ready to get married, I stress to them, once you're married, your relationship is the most important earthly relationship. Not, it's not your parents, it's not with your mom, not with your mom and your dad. No, it, that, that's, I'm not dismissing that, but I'm saying the most important relationship you're going to have is with the person that you're getting married to. Jesus taught that there's nothing more important than our connection, than being a part of an intimate and eternal and spiritual family. Being part of the body of Christ is the most important relationship on earth. Your spouse, your church body, and then others, okay? So it's not that you, you, don't, you dismiss it. But he's saying this is the most important thing. It's very, nothing as important as that family. My mom and my brothers and sisters, I love them. But hey, it's these people who are followers of Jesus that are even more important than them, is what he's saying to these people. And then he says, for whoever, in verse 50, for whoever does the will of my Father, it's an invitation. And that expresses the, the universality of the offer. If you follow me, if you trust in me, you're part of the family. If you reject me, you're out of the family. I mean, uh, Jay uh, Prince, you, you started to say John 3.16 up here, right? Yeah, well, that's the verse I want to say. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, right? That's, a, that's an offer of universality. Whoever believes in him, We'll be saved. We'll have eternal life. Okay? That's it. And so he said, but if you don't believe, no. So Jesus is saying here, for whoever does the will of my Father. See, the heart of the Father is for all to believe. The heart of the Father is that everyone would come up here and testify, not in Creekside Church, but somewhere, that, that they're a follower of Jesus and get baptized. That's his heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but might have everlasting life. Whoever. It's open to all. I want you to look at uh, John or Matthew chapter 18. Just a few of these verses that show us that the will of the Father is that all would come to repentance and faith. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, will he not leave the ninety and nine out in the mountains and go and search for the one that is lost? And if it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that have not gone astray. So it is, so it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven. It's not the will of your Father that any of these little ones should perish. It is his will that should all be saved. First Timothy chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 3 and 4, Paul says this, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All people. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God is patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. That's the will of the Father, that we might come. So he says, whoever does the will of the Father who is in heaven. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother, my sister, my mother. What does it mean, doing the will of the Father? Okay, so some are saying, okay, so to get into heaven, 
You have to do the will of my Father. So we have to do something. Yes, we have to do something, but here's what it does not mean. It does not mean that doing the will of the Father initiates us into this relationship, but it identifies us as one who's in relationship. I'm going to hopefully try to tease that out. But realize, to do the will of the Father is what identifies us as a member of the family. It doesn't initiate us into the family of God. Okay? Matthew chapter 7, verses 20 through 21, um, Jesus said that you, know, you, you, you will know the people by, everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, you'll know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's possible to say the right things and not be the right person. My first trip to Haiti, I sat down under a, a mango tree and drank fresh squeezed mango juice. It was pretty special stuff, you know. Now let me tell you, the mangoes that came from the tree did not determine what kind of tree produced the mangoes. The tree that produced the mangoes determined what kind of fruit it would produce. The same is true for the children of God. Those who do the will of the Father do so because the love of the Father is in them. And so doing the will of the Father is the fruit of the tree. We saw this in chapter 13, verse 33. And Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Okay, so to do the will of the Father is the fruit of our love for and relationship with God the Father through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. John chapter 14 in John chapter 14, uh, verses 23 and 24, um, Jesus says this. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my command, my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Now get verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which we ha you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So Jesus' words are God's words. So if we do what Jesus says, we're actually doing what God says. So to do the will of the Father is to do what Jesus says is what God says. So obedience to Christ is obedience to the Father, and obedience is a function of relationship. I love and obey because I have a relationship with the Father, okay? And we enter into this relationship with the Father, through the Son, Jesus, through faith, through faith. See, the Bible's real clear, we're all messed up. Now, maybe that's not what you like to hear when you come to church, but it doesn't really matter what we like to hear, it's what the Bible says we need to hear. We're all messed up. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We're condemned to an eternity apart from God, and we deserve His wrath. All have sinned. The wages of sin is death. That's what we get because of our, our sin. That's not good news. That's bad news. But the good news is that God sent Jesus. And Christ died for us. 1 Peter uh, 3, verse 18 says, Christ died for all, for the, for all, the just for the unjust. Who's the just? Jesus. Who's the unjust? <laughs> us. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So, hey, 
we're messed up, we deserve punishment, but Christ died to provide a way for us to be made right with God, and we just need to receive it and respond in faith and trust. At the end of Romans chapter 3, Paul says, Therefore we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So when Jesus says you must do the works of my Father, he's not saying that we can earn our way to heaven. To do the works of the Father is to reflect in our life that we are connected to the Father through a relationship with his Son, Jesus Christ, by faith. Belief determines behavior. Belief determines behavior. Only believers are given membership in Christ's family. And that's what Christ declared is most necessary, is to be in a relationship with Him. So I ask you this morning, you know, we, we, we just heard three testimonies. Guys who are in relationship with Christ by faith. Can you say the same thing? Can you say, I'm trusting in Jesus and His death alone is the payment for my sin and believing in His resurrection as the only hope of me being made right with God and justified before God in heaven? I hope so. It's the only way to get in the family, and this is the main thing that Jesus is saying. He wants you to be in the family of God. So do you believe in Jesus Christ and are in the family? Then the second one is, do we behave like we're in the family? And that's... If you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus, are you behaving like you're in Jesus? Are you doing the will of the Father and demonstrating through your actions and our actions that we truly are His children? Am I growing in kindness and gentleness and generosity and compassion? These are the things we need to ask ourselves. So if you're not in the family, then the invitation is to accept the invitation to believe and belong in the family. And if you're in the family, then the invitation is to celebrate the fact that you're in the family because of what Jesus has done for us. You see, Jesus makes it clear. Only believers are granted membership in Christ's family. The second benefit that's teased out in the text, I think, is that only believers are granted understanding of the gospel mystery. Only believers are given the insight into what the mystery of the gospel is. The series of parables that Jesus begins in chapter 13 helps us understand the mission and the message of Christ's followers that we have and, and the response the world is going to give. So these parables in Matthew chapter 13 kind of lay out for believers what our mission is, what our message is, and how people are going to respond to the mission and message of Jesus. So notice it says on in verse 13, Chapter 13, verse 1, on that day. What day? <laughs> this is a long day for Jesus. Uh, chapter 12, pretty much. But beginning especially with verse 22, it's a long day. And he comes out of the house. So Jesus had gone into the house, and the multitude was in the house listening to Jesus teach. But he came out of the house, and he couldn't escape the multitude. Verse 2, and a great multitude gathered him so that he got into a boat. Okay, he left the house, got into the boat, and he sat down to address the whole multitude that was gathered on the beach. And despite the, the, the evidence that he has already laid out, and we've, if you're here as a guest and you came for the baptism, we've been walking through Matthew. So we've laid out, there's a whole series of evidence that Jesus has already given for his identity as the Messiah, but the hostility against him was increasing. And so he uses the parables 
in response to the rejection that he's receiving. And we see a couple things here. First of all, we see Jesus' plan to speak in parables. It's articulated, first of all. On that day, Jesus went out, verse 1 of chapter 13, and was sitting by the sea, and a great multitude gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. Verse 3, and he spoke many things to them in parables. That's the plan. That's what he was going to do. It's articulated for us there. He spoke many things. What's a parable? Isn't it interesting how many words we use in English that we really have trouble sometimes defining? Well, I know I kind of know what a parable is, but ask me to define it, and I'm going to go, well, I don't know. Well, it's a story, right? A parable is, is a story about a common situation or activity that most everybody can understand or they can relate to, okay? Now, that's the problem in the Bible is because most of you didn't grow up on a farm. And so many of the parables and analogies that are used in the Bible are agricultural based because that's the culture in which they grew up. But it's an activity that's readily understood and it illustrates a spiritual truth by making a comparison. So it's a story that's common to life, an activity that's understood that illustrates a spiritual truth through a comparison. All right? And so... Typically, a lot of times, the parable is teased out and the principle is given to us, but not in Matthew 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus failed to disclose the spiritual truth directly, except for his disciples. He gave them the, the goods. You know, he, they'd say, well, yeah, we don't really understand that. And he'd explain it to them. And we're going to see that as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew, that he gives the parable and explains it to them. So an unexplained parable is a riddle <laughs> that you just you have to guess at. Uh, what it means. The meaning can only be guessed at. So then Jesus illustrates uh, the, the parable with the parable of the sower. Now, I'm not going to go through this parable, okay, because uh, Mark's going to be preaching next Sunday, and he's going to tease out the, the details of the parable. But we read the parable. The parable about a sower went out to sow seeds, and some fell on the hard ground, some fell on the rocky ground, some seed fell on ground that was infested with thistles, and some seed fell on good soil, and it produced fruit, okay? Pastor Mark's going to take that away next uh, Sunday, right? Pastor Mark, Pastor Elder Mark, he's going to lead us in, uh, in, in that next Sunday, all right? But the, the point is that at the end of the parable, verse 9, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What do you mean? I thought they all had ears. Yeah, literally they do. But he's saying that there's some spiritual truth here. It indicates a secondary meaning that requires spiritual insight. You're going to have to have spiritual eyes to see and understand what, what's going on. It needs spiritual insight. And it's an invitation for serious followers of Jesus to find out what's going on and to get the information for themselves to find out what the king and the explanation. Those who accept Jesus as the king will benefit from the teaching. But we see later that those who don't understand it will not benefit from the teaching at all. So it's kind of like Jesus is making, drawing a line in the sand. If you're, if you're in the kingdom, you're going to get more revelation. If you're not in the kingdom, hey, it's going to become more cloudy to you. When, when our children were younger, uh, you know, they grew up in a pastor's home, right? So they hear the Bible stories and all this stuff. So what I did was at nighttime, our bedtime routine is I would tell them Jungle Frank stories. 
I, I took the, some of the true stories about a, a missionary in the, sunk, in the jungles of, of Ecuador, and I would tell them in Brazil and in the rainforest, and I would tell them stories, some of them, very few of them true, because I only knew a couple, three stories about Jungle Frank that were true, and then I would make the rest up. To illustrate, I'd tell them parables. To illustrate a story. They got it. Because they had the background, the knowledge, the understanding, and God opened their eyes. And Jesus says, the people who have it, get it. Those who don't, don't. And so Jesus is going to take it away from them. To the unbelieving, his words were meaningless riddles. Now, parables were his method. What was his motive? Why did he tell parables? That's the, that's the big kicker here. If you look at, at verse 10, it begins with a question. And his disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Why tell them parables? It's a good question. And Jesus gives an answer. Why, why these cryptic sayings that a lot of people don't understand? Why are you hiding it from them? Well, Jesus gives two reasons for using parables, okay, that highlight, I think, how, blessedness, how blessed it is to be a believer. What a benefit of being a believer through these reasons he gives for telling parables. First of all, he told parables to reveal truth to those who had accepted him. Uh, this is verse 11. And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. To reveal to them the truth. Okay? Okay? And to conceal the truth from those who rejected him. The end of verse 11. But to them it has, been, it has not been granted. Okay? Jesus spoke parables. I want to talk about the concealing first. Why did he speak parables to conceal the truth from unbelievers? That's what he does. If you look at the end of verse 11, but to you it has not been granted. Okay, To you who believe in Jesus, it has been granted, but to those who don't believe in Jesus, it has not been granted. To know what? What does the text say? The mysteries of the kingdom. What are the mysteries? Well, that's kind of... Code words, right? We're, we're talking the mysteries of the kingdom. Well, what is a mystery? The mystery, as he talks about it here, is something that has been a truth that is hidden to the Old Testament saints that is now being revealed. It's now disclosed. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven refers to the truth about the kingdom of heaven, the truth about the nature of Jesus' present earthly kingdom. So these parables unpack for us the truth about the nature of Jesus' reign and rule on the earth at this time. So, for example, first of all, it was not a secret to these people that God was going to send a Messiah, right? The Old Testament is filled with this. They knew the Messiah was coming. But they didn't know the identity and the nature of the ministry of this Messiah. They thought they did. But that's why there was a clash between the religious leaders and Jesus and the Jewish people and Jesus because what they expected was not what they experienced. What they anticipated was not the actual person of Jesus, okay? Because Jesus, he didn't ride in on a white horse to rescue them from the Roman rule. Jesus came in on a donkey, you know, meek and mild, went to the cross. What's that about, they're saying? So there is a disconnect between what they expected and what they experienced. The kingdom of heaven in Matthew is, is God's rule from heaven in bringing his salvation to the lost and his sanctification, his maturing 
to the believers. It's how God is working and ruling and reigning. He exercises his authority. God is now exercising his authority to rescue people from hell and to help those who are rescued to mature in their walk with God. And he's doing it through the power of the Spirit of God working in and through his followers. That's his rule on this earth right now. Until until Jesus comes back and sets up his millennial kingdom and eventually his eternal kingdom, literally on earth. So, this mysteries of the kingdom are mediated right now through people. We are actually believers are the ones who are actually working by God's grace through his spirit to share the gospel and to help people grow in Christ. That's how God is working in it. And so Jesus is painting this picture. And that's the mystery. They didn't get that. Secondly, the mystery centers around the person and work of Jesus and what the mission of Jesus was didn't just include the Jewish people. It included everybody. The mystery centers on his mission whereby all, all who by grace through faith can enter the family and become part of the kingdom of God and share in the spiritual promises. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. If you look at the screen, it says, which is in other generations, he just said the mystery, which in other generations was not made known to mankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. What has? His kingdom, the mystery. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. See, that's it. The mystery is, at least in part, that the Gentiles are now partakers of the body of Christ. They can become children of God, the promise in Jesus Christ, because the Jews thought only they were in. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad that God let the Gentiles in, because I'm one. And I'm guessing that everyone else here is a Gentile, because you're either, in the Bible, you're either an Israelite or you're not. So unless you're an Israelite... If you're an Israelite, you, you have uh, special privileges, but we all have the same privilege now through Jesus, and that's a great thing. Paul said at the end of Colossians chapter 1, verses 25 through 27, and I'm just going to get to the, the last part of it. It says, uh, to make known what the wealth of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles is, the mystery that is, what is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. They didn't get that. But Jesus came to reveal it. So that's it. Christ in you. Salvation from sin, declared by the prophets, is a reality for all human beings. A possibility for us. Not a reality, but a possibility, okay, for us through Christ. At the end of verse 12 in Matthew 13, he says, But whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away. The sad part is, those who rejected him are going to get even less light. It's going to be taken away from them, the light that they have, even the little light that they have. They had, look, at they had seen Jesus walking on uh, the earth. They'd seen him cure people, raise people from the dead, cast out demons, and still they rejected him. And so their faith condemns them. And because they rejected Jesus, he doesn't give them any more light. It's not that Jesus is cruel or mean or inhumane, but Jesus has given them opportunities. They rejected it, resisted it, and now he says, okay, you get more, you get less, you get less. We have churches in, 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 in the country and in the world who are sacrificing. They're, they're sacrificing the, the gospel all the time and, and, and going further away, and people are being led further and further into darkness because of it. It's sad. Scores of people had seen him. They were exposed to God, 
and their hearts had been hardened, and their refusal to accept the light meant they got less. Several years ago, I was headed out west uh, to, uh, uh, to spend some time thinking and praying, and I was going to this retreat center, and they said, the guy said, you have to call and get directions from me. Don't use your GPS because you'll get lost. If I had not listened to the in-person directions and rejected that light, I would have been led into lostness. People who did not listen to Jesus as his person and his, his words rejected the light. They got led further into darkness, away from God. And Jesus said to them, you are actually fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, which Bob exposited for us here a few weeks ago in Isaiah chapter 6. They had hardened themselves. Isaiah was preaching to the people of Israel, and they would be led into captivity in Babylon and in Assyria because they rejected God. Now, centuries later, he's saying, you guys are no better. You're rejecting Jesus. So you're, you're, you, you see but you don't perceive. You hear, but you don't understand. Your heart has been hardened, so you cannot be rescued. You cannot be rescued. God sealed their fate because of their lack of faith. They sealed their fate because of the lack of their faith. With what little knowledge unbelievers have is taken away. They will keep on hearing obscure parables, and they'll keep on seeing miracles being done, and, but not perceiving, and then it says at the end of verse, or first part of verse 15, why? For their heart of the people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return, and I should rescue them. That's it. They're bad. That's, he's concealed it, but guess what? He's revealed. He's revealed the truth to believers. I, I, if you're here this morning, I hope you don't harden your heart. Don't become like the people in Isaiah's day, fulfilled in the people in Jesus' day. Don't harden your heart against Christ. Acknowledge, yeah, I messed up. I deserve condemnation, but Christ died. And if I trust in him, I can be saved and be redeemed and rescued and be part of this family and have the benefits of believing. Unbelief becomes a chain around our neck. It destines us for an eternity apart from God, for destruction. Jesus spoke in parables to reveal the truth to believers. Verse 12, the very first, for whoever has to him more shall be given. You know, I grew up, uh, my parents were, uh, didn't have much when I was born, okay? So I grew up not, not having much. But over the course of the years, my parents invested a lot in me. They invested relationally in me. They invested uh, materially in me. They invested intellectually in me. They invested emotionally in me. They spent time with me. They invest so that now I'm way better off on all those counts. And what human parents do intellectually, emotionally, and materially for their kids providing greater abundance, our Heavenly Father does spiritually. So he says in verse 12, for whoever has to him more shall be given, and he shall have an, an abundance. It's, it's amazing to me that our Heavenly Father will take those who receive the light, and he'll give us more light to grow in grace, to grow in, in mercy, 
and grow in intimacy with Him. We'll get to know God better and get to love Him more and be more useful for Him in the kingdom. We'll have an abundance. Jesus said it. Who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And I will love him. And my Father will love him and will disclose ourselves to him. We love God. We're obedient to God. We get more of God. That's the call. That's the thing. That's what God wants us to do. And notice it says at, at verse 16, but blessed are the eyes, your eyes because they hear and your ears because eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. We're blessed. We're blessed. And even better than the Old Testament saints, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, says they look, long to look into these things. They wanted to know these mysteries. They wanted to understand, but they couldn't. But you and I can. Verse 17, for truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, and they did not see it. And hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. But we have. John MacArthur says this, I think it's really accurate. He said, everyone is either progressing or regressing spiritually. You have the light, you're going in the light. You don't have the light, you're going in darkness. So where are you this morning? In the light? And need to grow in the light? It's available. There's a blessedness of believing is that we understand the mystery. And that God will give us more light to grow in grace and mercy and kindness and intimacy with Him. If you're in the darkness, my invitation is come out of the darkness. Here's the the text. He says, proclaims an indictment against your unbelief. You're going to be condemned. Don't. I don't want that. Repent. You can be a part of the family. Receive Christ and become part of the family. If you're in the family, then hey, look at the blessedness of believing and rejoice. This is mercy, mercy, mercy. If you look at this, it says in verse 11, And he answered and said to them, To you it has been granted. So what did you do to get it? The blessing of believing. Nothing. It's been granted. It's been given to you. It's grace, grace, God's grace. And it's a testimony of the universality of God's offer. We looked last week at the people of Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba. These were Gentile people. These were not Jewish people. And God makes His grace available to all. And we can rejoice in that. And I do rejoice in that. And now, as we we close our service, it's our habit, our practice, to uh, take a bread and cup. That's on your seat. It's the new way we do it now. Uh, if you want to find it, there's a little peel-off plastic cover on that peels back the bread, and then there's another one that peels back the juice. And guess what? These are just symbols of the sacrifice that reminds us of the great cost that it was for Jesus to provide us with this blessedness of believing. So you're welcome to take these elements. If you're here this morning trusting in Christ as your Savior, nobody's required to take, so if you don't want to, that's fine too. Let's pray, and then you can partake as the praise team sings. Father, thank you uh, for your son Jesus and the ministry that he offers and the message that he provides that we can be your children by grace through faith plus nothing. I thank you for the testimony we've heard this morning from Jethro and from Jay Prince and from Colin Short about your mercy and grace in their lives. And I pray that those of us who are here would heed their words and follow them in following you. And if we know you, Lord, help us to rejoice in the grace and the mercy and the abundance you provide for us. We pray in Jesus' name.